Fictional Page presents Read Before Midnight, Season 1, Episode 5, The Hole, by W.H. Maxwell, read by the author. There were deep places in the world, and things that lived in them. It had been that way before the bombs had dropped, and the poison had spread. Just worse after. Worse like the bitter water, and the pox. Worse like the smilers, and the gray cloaks. But Cotter always told his boys, you keeps with each other, and you keep each other safe. Wally, Bradford, and the twins knew that. Jerry and Big Tom did too. That's why they came back to tell the others. That's why when they spotted it, the two didn't go just alone. They spotted the hole yesterday. It weren't there before, Big Tom had told them. Jerry and me was back here two days past, and it weren't here then. Liar, Bradford had said. Tom's face got so red at this, Wally thought for sure Tom was going to hit the other boy. The twins must have too, because they both stepped back in unison. When Tom stood, however, Wally took one forward. Enough now. No need for scrabbles. We take care of each other, yeah? We're Cotter's boys. That's what we do, right? Yeah, Bradford agreed, and Big Tom slowly nodded. Cotter's boys stick together, Wally repeated. So where is this hole then, Tom? Come show us. Big Tom and Jerry led the way the other boys joking and having a laugh at first. They were headed down by the tunnels near the old bridge that nobody goes over no more. They kicked and tussled up dirt and hollered at the empty buildings. Bradford threw rocks at what glass remained high up, and the twins played between the rusted shells of the cars. Only when they got to the last block by the bridges, Wally told them to pipe it back down. This part of town was run by the Grey Watch. And the Grey Watch wasn't friends to no lost boys or street pickers. Plenty of boys on the street had been picked up by the Grey Watch and never seen again, or found floating down the river, bodies all bloated from days in the water. So when Wally told them to shut it, they did. How much further, Tom? Bedford said. Just beyond there, said Tom. It's under the cranny of the bridge, against that wall. He reached a broad arm out and pointed to the spot where one of the legs of the bridge met the overpass wall. They couldn't quite see it from between the buildings on account of the overgrown trees and branches covering everything, but they could picture in their minds where it should have been, where the two lines of the bridge and wall should have met. They had nice things in there, too, Jerry said. They have coats inside, all stacked up. Look. He did have a new coat on, too, big and furry and oversized for his bone-skinny frame. The other boys had just thought it something stupid. And look at this, too. Jerry said, pulling down the hem of the coat and revealing a golden chain. No way a shit pants like you found that, Bedford said, reaching out his hand, but Jerry slapped it away. It's mine, don't touch it, and go get your own, Jerry barked back, and Wally shushed them back down. Come on, Big Tom urged, and the boys moved forward. They were all wondering now about the coats, and the jewelry in the wall, and Jerry whispered about it to them on the way. Tom and I found the hole, Jerry explained. And then just inside we found the coats, and I took one and found this all bundled up inside the pocket. He played with the golden chain between his fingers. But there's loads more you've got to see, Jerry said. And then they were at the little drop down, steep and rocky to the underside of the bridge. It was not a sheer drop, but at the top, it looked a long way down, and each boy felt the tingling in their bellies. None of them said anything, though. If any of them had stopped had been too scared to go on, or tried to find another way around, the other boys would have let him have it. They would have kept all the coats and tell anyone who would listen about the shit pants too scared to climb down the hill. So they all did, and it was easier than it looked. 
Halfway down, Wally jumped and landed on his feet, and the twins did the same, each shouting their own Geronimo with glee and bravado, as only young boys can. The walk to the bridge was not far from there. It was partially hidden, though, by a whipple of branches and mashed-up metal from where trees had grown right through the old cars. The cars had fallen off of the bridge, or so Jerry had explained. All of them thought that was pretty clear and obvious, though. Big Tom held back the branches as the boys hurried on through. It was, as Jerry had said, where the big metal and concrete legs met the side of the hill and rock, a hole had opened up in the very stone itself. Narrow and tall, it was just wide enough for a man to pass through sideways, and more than enough for a boy to shimmy through. But they paused at the entrance there. The hole was pitch black inside, and their eyes were still all funny from the sunlight trying to look in. A bad smell, too, like rotting vegetables and drainage pipes and stale water was coming from inside. The twins both looked at each other, with their sullen faces puckered, and even Wally seemed to get a bit peevish. But Jerry was adamant about the coats, and getting some for them, too. If they got enough for themselves, maybe even some extra, too. And if they each found gold to bring back to the cotter and the rest of the group, they would be heroes. Each of them could picture it, too. None of them needed to say it. Cans and cans of food would be theirs, and even the cotter would be proud like he sometimes was, and say to them, Good job, lads, and you could run with the greens and reds when you get older, too. I know you can. You just keep doing good. So they went in, each of them, one by one. Jerry first, then Wally, the twins, Bedford and Big Tom last. It was tighter than it looked from the outside. A few feet in, the rock bunched up to their chests, hugging them tight. Big Tom had to turn all the way sideways, and Bedford heard him suck in his air to make it through. On the other side, Jerry pushed a button, and a light came from the little electric lamp he carried. Each of the boys huddled around the tiny space in the rock. The earth surrounded them from all sides, and the air was stiff and musty with rot. But they hardly noticed. Instead, like Jerry said there were, the coats. The boys saw them, dropped on the ground in heaps. But not only that, in the light, they could see other things, too. Shoes, Bedford said, with surprised happiness in his voice. Wally, it's shoes, good shoes, Wally. And it was true, there were shoes littered around the floor, too. Bedford was already bending over and swapping out his worn-through threads with a better pair he found. Wally was trying on a coat, and the twins were plucking through their own little treasures on the ground. None of them noticed the fading of the light until Big Tom called out, Jerry, back this way! Jerry had walked on further into the hole. There's more down here, though. He called back and began walking in deeper. Bedford now, with his new shoes, looked afraid in the dark, even though he didn't say nothing. Both of the twins called, We can't see, out to Jerry. He didn't seem to hear, or he didn't care, or cared about something else more instead because he just kept walking and rounded a bend, and the light left with him. Shit, bird, Wally mumbled, and then to the others, Come on. He led the way ahead, toward the glow where Jerry was, and the others followed. Wally and the twins squeezed on through as the tunnel narrowed up, and the chuffing sound of Big Tom as he wiggled through filled the silence. In the deep, the light had been a deception, and they went much further than they knew before the tunnel opened again on a bend. On the other side, Bradford stopped to check the scrapes and dirt on his hands, while the twins dusted each other off. 
Now the smell of the rotting things was strongest, and Bradford made a queasy face and went a bit pale. The others, except maybe for Jerry, seemed to feel it as well. Look here, Jerry said, and the boys did. There's enough here for every one of us and the boys back at camp. Jerry said it was sincere giddiness, a stupid kind of joy or madness that didn't fit right. But the other boys didn't feel happiness. It was all wrong. Jerry pointed out the pile of things to them. Shoes. At least a dozen pairs had been piled up, alongside packs and bags that were filled with supplies. One was torn open, and a bag of chips had spilled out all crunchy and freckled across the dirt. Batteries, still in the packages too, were visible along with bottles of water tossed about still full. The light reflected and danced across the water, still whirring around inside, when Jerry picked one up. There was a foot inside one of the shoes still, and not a big one, cut clean at the ankle by something sharp. Jerry, Bradford said uneasy, but Wally jumped in. We need to grab this quick and be off, he said. Whose is this, Jer? It don't feel right. Ain't nobody's, Jerry said. Except ours now. Bradford shook his head. Wally's right. There's something wrong. Don't be shit pants, Bradford, Big Tom said. I'll tell everyone you were and that you ran away and cried the whole time. No, I didn't, Bradford snapped. It just don't. But he stopped short. Come on, boys, Wally said. Let's be quick. But Jerry was trying on shoes now, butt on the ground and feet up. I've got better ones at camp, too, and another pair in my bag. But once we go back to camp, the best ones is going to get snapped up first, Jerry said, stupid smile plastered on his face. And we'll have coats and clothes and cans and batteries. Can you keen it, boys? But they couldn't. Their excitement had died, and Jerry didn't seem to notice. Bradford thought he looked like one of the marshmallow kids, the ones with the puffy faces after the blast went off, and he said so, too. Are you a marshmallow kid? Bradford said. Did the bombs addle your brains and puff up your face, too? Come off it, Wally said. I mean it, though, Bradford said, pointing at Jerry. He ain't all there. Not really. And this ain't right, Wally. Someone's coming back for this stuff, ain't they? Gray cloaks or smilers? Big Tom took a step towards Bradford. He ain't marshmallowed. You don't know a thing about anything, piss pants. Come off it, Wally said again. Cotter's boys stick together now. Let's go. More to load, and we need to be quick. They did, loading up on the shoes and coats and cans and batteries as quickly as they could, small hands working with a silent rhythm, save for Jerry, who hummed to himself and rocked with his shoes. None of them had been listening for anything in particular, but they all heard it. Bradford found Wally's eyes along with the twins and Big Tom. Come on, lads, Wally said, hurrying faster now his hands moving in quick darts. Don't want to be here when whoever gets back. The sounds came again from the dark, somewhere beyond Jerry's torch. What was that? Bradford whined. Did you hear that? Jerry, shine the light now there, Big Tom said. But Jerry ignored him. Instead, he patted the sides of his new shoes proudly and said, No one in camp is going to have shoes like these. Even Cotter will be wanting them. There was a clicking noise and the scuttle of something big dragging along the dirt from somewhere in the dark. No mistaking it now. They all heard it and froze. Even Jerry looked out, his eyes wide and white, into the deeper part of the hole. 
from where the sound had come from. Jerry, Big Tom said, though his voice was very small now. Shine the light out and see. A massive head, the size of a horse and covered in black carapace, came down then, snapping Jerry's legs off with quick mechanical precision. In the same motion, mandibles like muscular arms effortlessly tossed the pieces of Jerry into its mouth. Then swiftly, smooth ebony legs, too many to count, carried the body of the thing forward and on top of Jerry, who was too stunned to do anything more than shriek once in panic. It was Wally who managed first, grabbing Bradford and turning, the twins already leading the way back. Run! Wally shouted, his voice at the edge of sanity. Run! Bradford did, finding his legs moving before his mind could make sense of the danger. Big Tom thudded on heavy feet so close Bradford could feel his hot breath against his neck. Long shadows danced horribly against the walls, extended from the light behind them. Then the sound of the clicking came again, and they heard the quick dragging sound begin to follow. Ahead, the twins were sliding through the second narrow before the opening with the shoes. There, Bradford saw Wally look back and saw the horrified look on his face staring back at him. Then a hand was pulling on his shoulder, a body large and hot and heavy forcing itself around him as he stumbled. Wally watched as Big Tom pulled on Bradford, and the smaller boy fell down. Tom did not wait. Blind panic had consumed him, and he stepped over Bradford with a long stride. The smaller boy was almost to his feet when the centipede rounded on him. The portion visible was as big as a small car, with more still behind and hundreds of legs on every side of it, twitching and pulsing and moving. Whatever poison the bombs had dropped must have done something to it. Wally had time to reason. Must have done something. And then the other boy was screaming, and Wally turned and ran. Wally dove forward, squeezing himself tight against the wall. His shirt was slick with sweat now, and he stuck to the side of the earthen wall more than on the way in. Dirt and dust kicked up as he tried to force his way through. And then Big Tom was there, pushing against his face and chest. Move, you shit! Move! The bigger boy shouted at him, terror overtaking his voice into a high girlish pleading. I'm trying! Wally cried back and then he felt another pair of arms pulling from the other side. The earth around his stomach tightened and then released as he lurched forward and fell. One of the twins landed under him, and the other helped them both back up. Big Tom was coming through now, only he had stopped just before the entryway. The sunlight from the surface spilled out onto his face. The twins turned to move, pressing on as the clicking sound started again. Still running forward, Wally turned back and then stopped. Tom hadn't moved trapped sideways between the walls of the tunnel, one arm reaching out. Help! he cried. I'm stuck! His free arm paddled uselessly at the air. Wally managed to force himself around, despite his panic, and took two steps toward the other boy. Then Big Tom disappeared, ripped free and drugged backward by his legs. His torso bent awkwardly and made a snapping sound as he twisted, and then he was gone. From the darkness of the tunnel, the screaming started. Wally felt the warmth in his pant leg then, already turning cold. When it had happened, he hadn't noticed. It didn't matter, though. He was a cotter boy, and he wasn't going to stand there and leave his friends. One of the twins, Wally didn't know which one, moved up beside him then and put an arm on his shoulder. Run, Wally, he said. We've got to go. We have to go back, Wally said, tears streaming down his face. Big Tom and Bradford... The other twin was there now, pulling on his brother's shoulder. No, he said, simply. 
We always protect each other, though. Wally turned back around and pointed at the passage. He was shaking hard, and his voice trembled softly. Cotter's boys stick together. Something hard and heavy hit him in the back of the head, and he crumpled to the ground. One of the twins dropped the rock in his hand, while the other grabbed Wally's arms and began to drag him back out of the hole. They did not stop until they were outside and through the grove of trees under the bridge. Wally breathed gently, unconscious from the blow, but alive. More alive than if he'd gone back into that hole, the twins knew. Cotter's boys always stick together, one of the twins said. We always protect each other, the other twin echoed. Thank you very much for listening. Your thoughts and time are very valuable, so thank you for choosing to spend some of it here with me. Wherever you are out there, know that you are not alone and that we will be here to keep telling stories through the night. If you enjoyed this story, please like and subscribe and tell friends and family who like this sort of stuff. As an independent writer and artist, producing these works takes a ton of time and effort done purely from a passion to tell stories. If you want to support me directly, please consider checking out my other works at www.fictionalpage.com or become a patron at patreon slash fictionalpage or use the links below. Thanks for listening, and until next time.